Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We found a property just across the bay, which was for sale. It was the original guy who'd started Alcan Aluminium in Australia, so he was super wealthy. It was his holiday home. And we um, we negotiated on that at $230,000, and it was a double block. Now, we couldn't afford the block next door, which he also owned. So, um, again, like every ethnic family, my father bought the block next door. <laughs> This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode on Property Investory, we're speaking with Ian Igate, part owner of Small is the New Big, consultant and real estate advisor. Beginning work as a plumber after high school, his path led him to teaching before taking on property investing full-time and with great success. So, what does he do in any given day? Um, my day is made up of, it can be very varied and um, that's the sort of person I am. I do like different things. You know, we've started um, many businesses over 22 years. So, 23 businesses in 23 years we're up to. And for me, a daily basis is um, getting up. We, we have a two-acre water frontage on the Sunshine Coast. Uh, currently, right now, I'm sitting down by the river just looking out, talking to you, obviously, Tyra. Um, and we, I will normally venture into the office for the... Um, so, sorry, I actually get up about 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, I'll enter emails for about 45 minutes. I will do a jog somewhere between 7 to 36K, depending on what my training is for a marathon. Um, come back, uh, have a shower, get the kids to school, drive them to school. I'm one of those fathers that drops kids off. And then um, I'm in the office for two, three hours at tops. Um, and then the rest of the day, I take it pretty easy. Um, so, we've got an office there that um, is full of staff that look after what we do. And um, I'm very gracious that they're there and my wife obviously running the whole business. I'm not a late sleeper, so I, I normally will try to get in bed by 8.30 when the kids go to bed. Um, obviously, there's times where we've got certain projects underway or uh, you know webinars that I've got to run or teach some people doing some things, and I might get to bed at 11.30, 12.30. I, I, can, I can survive on four hours sleep for probably a month, um, and then I'll need to do you know, what we call sleep bank and, and get back into the groove of just um, that running. So I do, I do love my running, and I do love my exercise. Um, I don't love it while I'm exercising, but geez, I like the finish line when I'm done. As a property investor, consultant and real estate advisor, he also works with his wife Christine in their company Small is the New Big, which helps create affordable housing opportunities in Australia. My property title is what we call in my community the MOTU or the Master of the Universe. So I'm my own little he-man um, and I do like a bit of a laugh. So my community understands that 
Um, so most of the time we're out having a good time um, and obviously the serious part of investing and how we can help out other people, um, not just ourselves and community in general. Passionate about running marathons, Ugarte got into it later in life when he was able to run with Kathy Freeman in New York. So I've done uh, currently nine marathons. I did my first at uh, the age of 39. Um, I am one of only a thousand people in the world that have completed the six world major marathons, which includes New York, Chicago, um, Tokyo, London, Boston, and New York. Did I say New York? There's another one in there. There's six of them in total. Um, I've now done that. I'm actually going off and now doing the six continents. Um, and so, sorry, the seven continents. And now I'm on to, I've got three more continents I'm doing Antarctica in March. Um, in late next year, I will also do um, South America and I've got to fit in an African, and which the African will be my finale, I think, which will be doing um, six marathons over seven days across the Moroccan desert. It's one of the hardest marathons in the world. When we changed the way we were doing property and actually started to get to the point of um, what we would refer to as success, um, that was probably in about 2009, 2010. And I'd never really run more than 10 kilometers at any one time. Um, and I'm sitting there in a lounge room and uh, Robert De Costello was being interviewed and he just started what they call the Indigenous Marathon Project. Um, and what he does is he goes into remote Aboriginal communities. He does the Deadly, Deadly Run series, which is, you know, they, they take 5K runs. And then from that, um, people apply to become part of the Indigenous Marathon Project. Over um, six months, they train them up to become marathon runners and they end up going over to New York and completing um, the marathon. Now, for me, I listened to that story and I watched it. If you've ever seen, I think it's called um, Running to America. It's, it's on the ABC. It's an ABC documentary. And every person that's gone over since 2010, it's usually a team of somewhere between 7 to 15 people and has completed the marathon. And from that what happens is they're promoting the um, locals in the community that can actually show. Now, they don't have to be the fit and healthiest people. They have to be leaders in the community that will, will be seen to be leaders. And they go off and they do the marathon, they come back, and they are absolute rock stars. And um, the change of health, you know, the, the huge amount of um, diabetes problems in, in our remote community at the moment is huge. Um, Kathy Freeman, for those people that didn't know, um, after winning the um, gold in Sydney, had actually got into a place of type 2 diabetes and um, she she went over in 2012 um, to complete the marathon and that was obviously the year that New York got called off. That was going to be my first marathon and I got to run around um, because I was supporting the Indigenous Marathon Project as a charity. Um, I got to run around Central Park in New York with Kathy Freeman and Robert D. Costella and, and people say to me, did you get a photo? I go, I don't need a photo. Like until I get Alzheimer's, I'm going to remember that day for a long time um, and so you know that's a long story but that's how I got into running. Growing up in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, he initially entered into the plumbing profession on completing high school. Yeah, I came from a, a good middle class family. Um, you know, my parents are Spanish um, immigrants, came to Australia in the um, 1970. I was born in 71. I was born in 73. And, um, you know, my dad became the first Australian qualified plumber um, that was a migrant. So he actually went through the TAFE course as the first person and, and he had a good head, um, set of skill sets from being a boilermaker over in Spain. Uh, and so we grew up um, quite happily in the family as plumbers. 
Um, my brother, I have a, an older brother who's nine years older than me and a younger sister who's seven years younger. Um, and so there was a fair distance between my sister and my brother. And my brother, when he got to age, became a plumber as well. Um, when I got to the age of leaving school, I went to year 12. My dad said, I said to my dad, do you mind if I become a plumber? Because I don't really want to go to university. And my dad said, well, as long as you finish year 12, um, I'm quite happy for you to become a plumber. And I, I don't, it's not what I want you to do, but you know, if, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. With the instrumental aid of his parents, he then saved to buy his first property on a very small salary. And my first property investment was at the age of um, 19 and I was earning $222 a week in hand after tax. And my parents, as a technical, you know, as a true um, ethnic family, my parents put a deposit down on the house across the road. Um, and ultimately, it was, as it was meant for me to um, move into with my um, then first long-term girlfriend. And so I lived at home, I worked with the business, I didn't get paid any overtime whatsoever, but my parents did put a deposit on a house for me and it was costing, we were putting at the time, and this is 1992 I think it was, we were putting, um, I was putting $200 of my $222 of wage into um, that property and I still managed by the end of the year to save $800, so I was, I was a handy little saver when it came to it. Now, I always wanted waterfront property, and when it comes to waterfront property in Sydney at the time, um, when I wanted to buy close to water, at least water views, was going to cost me $500,000 to $550,000, and that was around the Maroubra area. And we think back at, at, um, at those times at $550,000, I would have mortgaged about 10 of them if we knew what Sydney was going to do. Um, because, you know, to buy something in Maroubra similar currently nowadays, I'd probably have to spend three to three and a half million dollars. But we took a we took a trip one day up the coast um, towards Central Coast, and we stopped at a place called Burrell Waters. We went into the um, into the shop by the wharf, and we looked in their shop, and the house for sale for two hundred thirty thousand dollars. And we went, "Geez, that's cheap. That's waterfront property for two hundred thirty thousand dollars, an hour away from Sydney." this has got to be something that we've got to look at. So within a couple of weeks, we'd actually moved into a property that was for sale. So it was my first negotiation in property, really. And all the deals that Christine and I have, I can honestly say, hand on my heart, that 100% of all the property deals we've done have never been a standard contract deal. We've never had a standard six-week contract or a standard term because we've always had some sort of condition in it. Now, this particular property we'd agreed to look at and purchase as long as we could rent it for three months to make sure that we could handle the area. However, there turned out to be an issue with this property which would make living in it impracticable for Ugarte. This property was great, which we had a three-month um, conditional clause in there. Um, we moved in on the Saturday. On the Sunday, um, I was a semi-professional um, soccer player, a football player, um, and so I was in a semi-professional contract. On the Saturday, we moved in. Sunday, we went out, first game of the season, and tore my cruciate ligament. And that was really the reason we didn't end up purchasing that property because there was 89 steps to get from the bottom of the river all the way up to the top. Um, so in the meantime, in three months, we found a property just across the bay, which was for sale. It was the original guy who'd started Alcan Aluminium in Australia, so he was super wealthy. It was his holiday home, and we um, we negotiated on that at two hundred and thirty thousand dollars. 
and it was a double block. Now, we couldn't afford the block next door, which he also owned. So, um, again, like every ethnic family, my father bought the block next door. <laughs> and, and and you can imagine, so, you know, we're an ethnic family, and as Christine's an Australian, true blue Australian, and um, she, she was going, what the hell is going on here? The in-laws are moving in next door. This is full on. So um, we end up going down. When we... What, and, and again, it was probably one of those first properties where we learnt a lot because the first thing we did was before we went um, during our five-day cooling-off period, we got the council to come in and, and look at the property. Now, it was an original fisherman's shack and um, downstairs was a bar area and lounge room and upstairs was two bedrooms plus a bathroom. It's quite a small place. Um, and when the council came in, they said, you know what, it's under height here your downstairs area and it was an original fisherman's cottage they'd sort of dug out and excavated underneath and put a slab down but it didn't actually meet building height um, and code so the council said to us look we can't make downstairs habitable you can only really live upstairs so we went back to the owners and we said to the owners look um, it's going to it's not legal Um, we need to renegotiate the price Uh, we've had some pricing to actually jack the house up and get it back to its proper height so that we can live downstairs as well um, and we negotiated I think it was about $20,000 off the purchase price and we ended up in a position where it cost us $7,000 to jack the house up get it to the right height and um, get going again so so it was really great that um, we were managed to negotiate fairly early on. So with his parents help he paid down the debt and bought his first home in Braille Waters. And the way that we got into that property was that that original house that we that my parents put the deposit on across the road in um, East Lakes, uh, we sold that and the market had gone up in value. Um, and having paid down the debt a little bit, we ended up with sixty thousand dollars of the deposit, um, which that was after I paid my parents back with interest. So it wasn't one of those freebies that my parents sort of donated money to me. They did help me and, and absolutely, um, you know, I love my parents to pieces for what they and, and um. Sorry, I get I get really emotional at um, different stages, depending on who we're talking about, and um, and I don't hide that emotion. I'm I'm very happy to show it. Um, it's a it's a true essence of of how I really feel about some of the things I talk about, and um, you know they they just work so hard, and they continue. My dad is over the age of seventy, and he works so hard. He 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 just makes me feel so inadequate when I go and work with him because I might be working with him for two or three days just helping me out doing things and he puts me to shame honestly he's is um it's just such such an amazing um person to watch and so East Lakes East Lakes is what we bought as a um as an investment property basically my parents put the deposit down we then sold that property um, a few years later which gave us the deposit to be able to go up to Barrera Waters and buy our first home. Before becoming a full-time property investor, Ugarte worked in plumbing where he was actually able to use his skills to compete for the Olympics of work skills. I got to a point where um, when we first moved down there, I was working with my father. Um, I was at the point there, 24, 25, 26, so I just had got my plumbing license. So essentially, I moved down there and during my time as an apprentice plumber, I was a um, competitor in what they called at the time 
work, work skills, which is now called World Skills. And it's a skill-based competition for all trades. Um, and you compete at regional level. If you're in regional, you go to national level. If you're in the national level, you end up going and competing against other countries and um, you can win gold medals like the Olympics. So it'll be the skill Olympics that you'd be attending. Now, I won a silver medal um, in the Australians. So I didn't get, I didn't get the gold. Um, and, you know, it, it, uh, that it wasn't meant to be. Coming up after the break, we'll delve further into Yagati's journey on the progression of his career. And within eight weeks, I actually applied for a job, which was just a pie-in-the-sky job, um, which was the Assistant Director of Business, which was a three IC of TAFE New South Wales, um, Sydney Institute, and I got the job. How he got into property investing full-time. And my father bought property at Peaks um, twice and lost money on both of them. And so I thought I'd just follow suit and do exactly the same. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Western Australia is tipped to be the next property hotspot. If you're looking to invest and build in WA, take advantage of the affordable land market and record build times with Plunkett Homes. Visit propertyinvestory.com forward slash build to find out why they are WA's most established home builder. With over 150 years of experience, Plunkett Homes helps you develop turnkey homes across WA. To get your fixed price demolition or site works and to maximize profits and minimize time, visit propertyinvestory.com forward slash build. And now back to the show. From plumbing, Yugato diverted his career into a slightly different direction, which allowed him to impart his knowledge to others. Up till recently, I didn't realise, but up till recently, I've always been a teacher. I realised, I only realised it recently that I am a teacher. So even every time an apprentice came on for my dad, I would always be the one teaching. And one of the TAFE guys that was involved with World Skills said to me, you know what, we need um, some younger people coming in. Would you mind doing some part-timing? I said, I don't mind doing some part-timing at all. I was literally... Um, probably only had my license for a couple of weeks and I was probably one of the youngest teachers within Tape New South Wales at the age of 24. So I was doing some part-time work and essentially that led up to me being able to do part-time work which paid for our mortgage. So my, my time within the part-time ranks would pay for the mortgage which meant that any time any work that I did within our own businesses um, would go towards being able to um, you know live our life basically. So our mortgage was taken care of by TAFE. I then became a full-time teacher in Tate, New South Wales, um, after doing some volunteer work in um, a place called Woojil Woojil in Cape York, uh, where we built an, a, um, a, a tourist um, shack and toilet for uh, a local Aboriginal community that were doing um, tours to waterfalls. And so they, they needed somewhere where they could take the white people to and um, so they could go to the bathroom rather than going into their community and came back got my Taste New South Wales full-time teaching job. I then became an acting head teacher in um, plumbing and a full-time teacher in plumbing, so head teacher in plumbing. And that was great. Leaving no stone unturned, he then progressed within TAFE New South Wales before eventually beginning property investing full-time. Just out of the blue one day, starting to work on my motivations um, of doing the same thing over and over again, which is what you have to do in property, find your success, find your bread and butter, do it over and over again. And over a period of eight weeks, I just worked on doing the same thing 
and that was, you know, um, answering emails at the same time of the day, um, uh, making sure I answered phone calls at the same time of the day, make sure I put appointments in at a certain time of day. And within eight weeks, I actually applied for a job, which was just a pie-in-the-sky job, um, which was the assistant director of business, which was a three IC of TAFE New South Wales, um, Sydney Institute, and I got the job. So I took seven pay scale hits in one um, single leap, and I walked into an office at the age of 36 um, with the nearest person to me being 20 years my senior, um, and 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 fit in really well, um, and and you know really had a great time, and that was really my last job um, before I left TAFE New South Wales and became full time property investor. Jumping into property investing full-time, Ugarte wasn't fully prepared for what to buy in terms of gearing. And my father bought property at peaks um, twice and lost money on both of them. And so I thought I'd just follow suit and do exactly the same. So um, I I had it. Um, so we were full-time browse. So we were the first of a young generation moving into that area. It had been holiday homes for a long time. Um, mostly older people, and we were the first couple to arrive. And within six months, there was probably another six young couples that said, you know what, this is good value for money. I'm moving from Sydney. I'm moving up here full time. And um, the house next door was put up for sale, and an accountant bought it, who's still my accountant. Um, And about two years into him having that as a holiday house, I rang him and said, listen, um, we're moving back to Sydney. I found a factory. I'm going to do a factory conversion um, and I'm going to sell Barara and I'm going to use that as a deposit for buying this factory. And it was in Botany, this factory. Um, and and uh, Maury was his name. Maury still is his name. Maury rings me back after five minutes. He says, mate, you don't need to sell it. What I want you to do is go and see the bank manager refinance against your Barara water. It's gone up in value. Take that, put a deposit on over there. Um, it'll be cash flow neutral and um, you can you can still continue to stay at Barrow Waters and um, in the next few years, you can develop the one in Botany. I went, that's a great idea. That's the sort of accountant I want. Now, as it turns out, what I thought was mutually geared, it was mutually geared as long as we only took into consideration um, the cost of the money that was on the mortgage of the, of the factory. What I hadn't counted was that um, the money that we'd taken out of our own home was costing us money. Right, so I'd never actually factored that in. So it was negative geared. It was negative geared by about eight thousand dollars a year. Now we were struggling for money. So I was thinking, you know, this is absolutely crazy. I'm struggling for money. Um, obviously, I'm paying way too much tax. Um, even after negative gearing, I still haven't got enough money. So what I'll need to do is go out and find another negative gear property. I'm going to buy another one, so I've got more money at the end of the year, and then my tax problems have disappeared, and I've got more money in the bank account. With this adversity, he learned to identify the difference between a good and bad investment. He believes this is an issue many of his clients experience as well. And so lo and behold, after only buying into seven different properties, um, we were at $36,000 negative cash flow and at that point in time, um, I was on $96,000 wage. So when you look at that, we had $96,000 of wage, um, take some tax off that, we're about $66,000, take the negative gearing of $36,000 off that, we were down to $30,000 and at the time we had three kids. So um, three children, a wife to feed and myself on $30,000 
financial year and our breath was holding out for the end of financial year so that we could get our out of our 36 we might get 10 or 12 thousand dollars back and all it did was um you know just to see that check and those were days where you actually got a check from the ato and i'd look at that twelve thousand dollars and i'd just breathe a sigh of relief i'd go right all right, we're good now. Um, we'll be able to survive the next two or three months without having any problems. And all that check did was actually pay for the next lot of negative gearing anyway. And it was just this vicious circle. And it was really quite painful um, to go through. And it was quite demanding on our relationship. And we never actually really got to the crux at that point in time of why we never had any money. Um, but you know, we just, I wasn't ever focused on money. It wasn't a big thing. The only focus I had on money is how little we had in the bank account, not where it was actually really going. And it's, and it's, it's actually something that we see a lot with the, with the clients that we work with on a daily basis that you never get to, they never actually stop enough to say, where am I spending my money and what is a good investment, um, you know, as opposed to a bad investment. Now, you know, I know that there's plenty of investors out there that say negative gearing is a, is a good thing. I will, Never, ever, ever negative gear again unless I'm buying a property for a specific reason for a year or two because I'm going to develop it into the future. But I will never go out and buy a negative gear property. It makes no sense whatsoever to actually lose money on an investment when you can actually do strategies to get really great capital growth um, properties that will also return your cash flow. Um, and you know, and that's, that's something that we've, we've been able to master over the last few years. There are several moments throughout Yugate's journey which make him feel like the world was out to get him. However, these helped him to learn an important personal lesson. There's always that one point in someone's life when there's a set of circumstances, may well it be one or a couple that hits at about the same time that puts you in a scenario of change and you don't you, you don't have any choice but to change because it's, the bricks just hit you in the face. Well, maybe not the brick. You've had the paper cut and it says, you know, now's the time to... Um, sorry, now the wind's caught me on this direction too. Um, so now we're at a point where um, something has to change. Now, we were sitting there um, in 2000... In 2010 was the major point, turning point for me personally. Um, and so we've written a book, uh, my wife and I, The Small is the New Big Health, Wealth, Love and Happiness. And it's a holistic way of looking at life, making small incremental changes to, to make a difference in the big scheme of things. Now, um, in, in that book, I tell this story about sitting on the estuary of a place up at Coffs Harbour. Um, where we went to, we'd go holidays every year and we would share it with, with another bunch of TAFE teachers and um, all of them plumbers, obviously. And I'm sitting on the side of the estuary there and um, by stealth, one of my mate's kids, who was about eight-year-old at the time, came up out of the water and looked at me and said, you're Jenny Craig's biggest challenge. Even though Ugardo took this as a little joke initially, it really cut to his core. Now, for that, like it was, everyone laughed and even I laughed, but it really cut to my core. And for me, I didn't actually think that I was overweight, but every time um, I took a new job in TAFE New South Wales from part-time teacher to full-time teacher, I put on five kilos. And then from full-time to head teacher, I put on five kilos. And from head teacher to assistant director of business, I put on five kilos. So I was essentially 16 kilos overweight um, for my size. Now, I'm a, not a tall fella, right? I'm, a, I'm quite short. I'm five foot one, I think, or five foot three in the old scale. Um, and, and 
you know, when, when you're 16 kilos overweight at that sort of, you know, when you, you should be about 63 and you're weighing 16 more, that was, you know, that, that was a huge impression on me that I thought I was actually, and I had all the excuses in the world, you know, I'd had two knee reconstructions, you know, and, and I'd hit 30 and, and all that sort of stuff that went through my head that said, and they were all just excuses. They're all just crap that I fed my brain, right? That kid has just given me the most honesty that anyone would ever give me. And, and, you know, sometimes with kids, we actually don't give them the ability to, to be able to tell the truth. Um, we stop them from doing it. And, and, you know, when I wrote this and, um, and his mother read the story, she says, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't believe it. Do you not see how beneficial that was to me that your son did that? Like, I have to be forever in the rest of my life grateful for him saying that to me. Now, that was one occurrence. The second instance was related to the job that he had been passionate about for so many years. Although it was an emotional time for him, it would prove to have a profound impact on his situation in the future. Because I loved my job so much, now this is a problem, when you love your job and you're 36 grand negative, it doesn't really occur to you that your life is getting in a shambles because you just love turning up work. And um, as a teacher, I was turning up and doing something that I loved and I still love doing, right? So um, everything was great. Like I had a six-week um, holiday at the end of the year. We've gone away to Coffs Harbour. This kid's told me that I'm overweight. I go back. I turn up on the 26th, 27th of January 2010, one day after our anniversary. I walk up the stairs and walk into my office, and I've got a new boss. And that new boss is the sort of guy that, um, you know, they put in a corner somewhere so they can't do damage. The problem was it was in the corner of our plumbing office. And that new boss, he tore my world apart in two days. And, and to this day, I'm still emotional about not being able to um, be able to, to secure myself in a position that was $36,000 negative. And then all of a sudden you go, holy crap, you know, how do I get out? $694 was coming out of my pocket every Monday morning to pay for the negative gearing. And so when I didn't love my job, two days after that, I went home. My wife saw how unhappy I was um, and I was completely unhappy. The kids became unhappy and the, and the pain of negative gearing really got to start, you know, inflicting into, into my soul. It actually started to tear me apart. And for the first time in many years after loving my job, I'm now in a position where I hate my job and um, I'm no longer passionate about the thing that I'm passionate about and I need to get out and I need to get out quick, right? And so, um, you know, we were fortunate um, that we were in a position someone had, had said, you know, go and see this positive cash flow seminar and, and eventually we went to do that. Now, for me, those two pivotal moments – um, one month apart were, um, were were the one basis of change that I needed to have, the pain that I needed to have to change. Now, um, you know, having worked uh, at different levels with different people on their own personal development, um, and it's something that I'm very passionate about, helping people move forward, I know that there's two styles of people. There are people that are led by um, the carrot. So, you know, when you talk about the donkey and putting a carrot in front of it, um, people that are led by what's the goal, what's out there, I really want to achieve that, I want to get it. Then you've got the opposite and um, using the same donkey, the only way to move some donkeys forward is by whipping them on the ass and making a move. And for me, unfortunately, my makeup and my motivations and attitudes are that style of person. So you have to whip me pretty hard and that pain was something that made a big difference, a massive difference to our change and our evolution to where we sit today. The game-changing moment that changed Higate's way of thinking around his property investing journey occurred when he understood positive cash flow. 
My aha moment came when um, I sat in a positive cash flow seminar. Um, and, you know, two years earlier, I'd been told, go and see the seminar. It's amazing. You'll be able to learn how to get positive gearing out of, um, out of property. And I said, don't be stupid. Can't you see? This is like a pyramid building system. What they'll do is they'll get you in there. Um, it's a multi-level to marketer. You'll sign up and then someone signs up underneath you and the person on top gets all the money. And, um, and that was the ignorance that I was traveling with, right? So, um, so after that had happened, you know, after those two incidents had happened, I went to that same person that told me to go and see the positive cash flow property and he had left work. He no longer needed a job because he bought positive cash flow property. I said, show me what you got. I don't understand how this works because I know property and I know negative gearing and I know that you can't do positive gearing. He said, well, here's my property. This is how much it costs me. This is how much it earns. And then at the end of the year, I've got money left in the bank account. I went, are you serious? He goes, yep, there's the figures. You have a look at them. And so I went, okay, Beautiful. I said, I have to go and see this person that you went to see um, and I want to make sure that um, I do the same thing. And so I sat in that seminar and I looked up there and I said, wow, those figures are amazing. They're unbelievable. Now, they were obviously all success stories and, um, I, and I was convinced straight away. And I said, I've got to do this. This is something I've got to do. With this understanding came the realization that things needed to change. So this is an interesting part of my makeup. Um, I come from a European household, so having watched my parents grow up um, and knowing that 80% of our makeup has been um, put into our brains by the age of six, I'm watching my parents operate. My dad earned the money, my dad came home, my mum did the cleaning, my mum looked after the kids. So I essentially grew into what we call a standard European chauvinistic pig, right? Um, and so I've married uh, Christine and we're well into marriage obviously now. Um, and I'm making all the decisions in the house and I turn up to this seminar and I watch, um, I watch this lady speak and she's amazing. Um, I go to the back of the room and I sign my wife up to the program, right? So <laughs> I go home. I, just, I look back now and I just, just, it makes me shudder. I go back home and I say to my wife, look, I've done something amazing for you, Christine. I've signed you up to this program. What I need you to do is learn it. Um, you know, come back to me once you've learned it all. Tell me what it's about, and then I'll decide what we're going to buy. And I, and and <laughs> it's it's just abs- it's so hilarious to think that that was the way. And now I, I turned up there. I was smart enough to actually put myself on as a partner. I turned up at the boot camp, and about um, one day, probably halfway through the first day, I remember thinking to myself, "This is not something that you can learn by proxy." Like you've got to make a serious attempt. You've just had two life-changing um, occurrences happen to you. Someone's told you you're fat and someone else has um, ruined your, your job. You need to make a change and it's not going to happen by acting the way that you used to act. And so for me, sitting in that seminar was a pivotal moment. Now, um, just an add-on to the fact that, um, you know, you might some people agree that the universe sends you certain signals to, to so that you get the message. Um, and so I was obviously the European chauvinist in the family and making the decisions for my wife and all the rest of it. Um, and lo and behold, just to make sure that I got a message, um, we had been blessed with and absolutely blessed with four daughters. Um, and so you know, um, and and so I have to stop now and say to the universe, I get it, I get it, I understand the power of women. And really, our business has really never took off until I let Christine be in control of them. So, inspired by Yagate's property investing journey, we will keep the conversation going with him in a future episode of Property Investory. We will hear about how his mindset has evolved through experience, 
I want to be in a position where I have the point to be able to get up in the morning and choose what, what I want to do and which is help other people. Delve into the nuts and bolts of his strategy. We got to a point where we bought um, a couple of positive cash flow properties and some of them were manufactured and, and um, some of them were um, already. So, they, they're already set up um, and already cash flow positive and now were the times where you could go out and just buy it straight up. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investry. Also, if you haven't subscribed to receive your free property case studies that I only send out exclusively via email, you can text me your email address to 0499881040 to subscribe. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to get your free case studies. Thanks for listening.